After finishing my PhD work in nutrition, I began working in a one-on-one -on -one capacity with people interested in improving their health. This helped me glean greater insights into why some people have more success with their health goals, while others struggle to have similar success. I observed that the people who experienced the greatest success took a multifaceted, long-term approach to their wellness through being physically active, eating a wholesome, balanced diet, and being part of a community that supported and nurtured them. Through this approach, they developed physical, mental, and emotional strength in concert, enabling them to persist and reach their goals. At one point in my life, I would have defined strength by a physical feat such as deadlifting 500 pounds. However, I've discovered that puts a limit on what strength can be. Strength touches many overlapping aspects of your life. Pursuing and achieving it should cause ripple effects across your life. After I deadlifted 500 pounds, nothing else in my life really changed. Now I view strength differently. It is a daily endeavor, one that is grounded in a diet rich in protein to fuel my physical and mental pursuits. But that is just the foundation. For me, several additional elements are integral to the pursuit of strength. Daily physical activity, time with loved ones, adequate sleep and being outside in nature. Small, daily actions in each of these areas has made a positive impact, rippling out to touch all areas of my life. These actions help me stay healthy and fit, as well as be a steadfast support to those in my life. In other words, they help me stay strong. I got goosebumps. Welcome to the Glorious Professionals podcast brought to you by GoRuck Media. I'm Jason McCarthy here with Dr. Mike Roussel, a six-time best-selling author who has been named one of the top 100 most influential people in health and fitness. We got introduced through Michael Easter, the author of The Comfort Crisis, and it turns out Dr. Mike is also a longtime rucker who's right now wearing his Chad 1000X t-shirt on the video side, and who can, in Michael Easter's words, deadlift a Volvo. Awesome, right? Sounded like my kind of nutritionist, so we touched base without the tapes rolling, Turns out he's, he's literally a gold mine. I could actually understand what he was saying about usually really complex and convoluted stuff. So now here we are for your education and enjoyment as well. Dr. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a, this is awesome. I was wondering, I was like, what is Jason? Because I know you read a blurb at the beginning. I'm like, what is he going to read that I wrote? Uh, so that was a nice pick. I love it, man, because it's, it's about so much more. It's not just about put this food in your mouth and don't put that in your mouth. And, you know, it's so much more holistic, but you've got the, the background to support this in the lifestyle, the way of life, you, you live the life. So let's start out before, cause I got a million questions. So I want to start out though, just with how you, how you found your passion for nutrition. Sure. So I, my passion for nutrition is definitely, it's definitely rooted in, you know, sport, like kind of, as you read it, it, it's rooted in physical activity and it's rooted in sports. So I grew up in a very rural part of Vermont. You know, I think a lot of people talk about growing up in the middle of nowhere. The town where I grew up in once graduated four kids from <laughs> high school one year. So it's pretty, so I spent, you know, most of my childhood running in the woods, running on dirt roads, you know, trying to lift stones, trees, that sort of thing. And so like being fast and strong was always a big thing of mine. And then I went to, uh, actually went away to boarding school for high school. And then I was introduced to things like a weight room and mm. wrestling. And <laughs> so I kind of like took it to this whole other level, ended up blowing out my knee playing lacrosse and 
just kind of saw nutrition, I picked up some bodybuilding magazines because I figured I wasn't going to be able to, to, you know, rehab. And back then, like weightlifting was either bodybuilding or powerlifting, right? Like that was it. Like nowadays it's like, we're so spoiled. Like there's so much of resistance training and strength, but back then that was basically what you had. And so picked up some of those magazines and it really just kind of got and started honing nutrition. And I did my first independent study in nutrition as a, as a junior in high school. And I was kind of hooked from there and weightlifting and nutrition. And it was always a vehicle of like how I could become better at sport. And then went away to college, um, got a degree in biochemistry and still, you know, was kind of going down this rabbit hole because what I came to appreciate is that nutrition is really rooted in biochemistry. And that, you know, if I could understand how our bodies worked at the molecular level, it was just a function of then layering on top of all those things. So did that, continued to kind of understand like really what worked with, with humans, worked with guys on the football team, worked with a bunch of different college athletes there, and, and started to understand this connection between food, but also people's behaviors and, and what was stopping that, you know, them from getting their results. Like what, what were your earliest lessons? So my earliest lessons were more is not necessarily better and it's all about priorities. So I had this guy who wanted to, he was a tight end on the football team. And I went to this small school in upstate New York, a Hobart and William Smith colleges. So it's like D3 football. And he wanted to, he wanted to make the team as like his sophomore year. And I set up kind of like this really kind of minimalist, basic nutrition program. He was doing like physical labor all day and we would lift weights at the end of the day together. Like I was in the lab doing some research that summer and it was all about how do we progressively stack more calories and more weight? And it was like literally the opposite of everything everybody else on the team was doing. And then he showed up in the fall and they drug tested him because they thought he was on steroids. And I was like, you know what? This is like, I'm onto this. This is working. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is working. And then, you know, then there were some other people that I had worked with also there at that time. And, you know, at that time it was kind of like what was really popular in nutrition were like meal, like meal replacement shakes, like these single serve packets to use. Metrics and, and all that type yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, like I remember. Kind of yeah. And so, you know, that actually worked out well if you're in college because college food's kind of terrible. And And what I found though was that People were like, well, I can't do this. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. But then they would go and buy like a 30 rack of beer or, you know, do whatever with their friends. I'm like, I'm thinking, well, it's not really, it's not like a time or money thing. It's a priority thing. And, you know, kind of, I would say like fast forward now towards more of my professional life. I was sitting in uh, Palo Alto, California, and I just left a meeting and I kind of had this like 15 year flashback where I was like, man, this is the same lesson I didn't learn my senior year in college. Where in that, I was working with executives and, you know, we had, they had a private chef, they had a personal trainer, we were coordinating meals wherever they were on the globe. And they weren't, they just weren't following the diet. They weren't following the plan just because they didn't want to. And so it was a, this was like kind of a, a parallel where you have all the resources set up for success, but you're not really into it. So you're not going to get it. Right. And which if I had a dollar every time someone was like, I wish I had a personal chef. And I feel like now I tell them, like, guess what? That's actually not the answer. <laughs> like I've seen plenty of people with personal chefs that prefer to eat donuts and drink sweet tea. So so those are kind of some of those early lessons um, that I got in in college with people. And then I went, uh, I actually went to medical school, thought I wanted to go that route, realized that I was like grossly unemployable and didn't really fit with the the rigid structure of medicine. So decided that really discovering new things. So my, my PhD mentor ended up telling me when I interviewed with her, she was like, look, if you want to figure out things that no one's ever figured out, you should get your PhD. If you want to take information that 
other people have and try to make it easier for people to read or put it all together, you should get your master's degree. And I'm like, well, I want to figure out new stuff. Mm -hmm. So, and I ended up going and getting my, um, getting my PhD. And so there uh, was in cardiovascular disease nutrition and did a lot of stuff with kind of like cardiometabolic disease, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, but we ran controlled feeding studies. So that was, you show up at the clinic in the morning, you get a cooler worth of food. Everything has been weighed, measured, and portioned for like a particular dietary pattern. And then you come back the next day, repeat, and you would do that for six months, depending on how many diets there were. So come to find out, like if people do that, they, they you know, it, you get results as well. So <laughs> I kind that. of got skewed. <laughs> yeah, imagine that all you need is like a slew of graduate students weighing and measuring food for you. Uh, but what I found there too, is kind of brought me back to like the kind of the bodybuilding days of my life where it was like very rigid. It was all about the food. And then I left and started working again more intimately with people, especially in New York City, where like nobody cooks. Everything was eating out or ordering in and all that sort of stuff. And what I found was it was back to this human behavior, the the element of, you know, who are they surrounding themselves with? It, the, you know, the problem is that in the bodybuilding fitness community, people are often, and I say this with a lot of love because I'm from that, they're mutants. You know, like I have a friend who ate tilapia and broccoli, like every meal for 12 weeks, right? Because he wanted to get in really good shape and he did it, right? But because there's like this whole other level, but in the real world, people don't function like that. And so the, I'm just going to write you a diet kind of approach doesn't work. And that to me was, I think the light bulb that has really motivated my professional career in figuring that out is how do we nuance the environment, the community, human behavior, getting the right foods at the right time, finding the motivation with protein, carbohydrates, and fats to get people where they want to go. So it sounds like the difference between kind of theory and reality, right? In theory, we, we have infinite amounts of, of money. We mm. have, you know, all the knowledge, we know everything. And, and someone sitting in academia for just a on them for a second that's that's not living in the real world with people it's like oh this should be easy right but then we know this to be true the problem is is motivation we know we should walk more we know we should eat better we know we should go outside we we know these things and we don't so at some point you became really good at communicating to people and having a lot of success in speaking a language that people understand respect including me and yep. before we go really deep on some uh, other stuff, it's like, what is the most basic advice that you have for 99% of the people? I don't want to deal with the exceptions and, and the mutants. And I don't want to deal with all the people who are going to talk about, yeah, but this and yeah, but that. Like, what is the basic, yep. no nonsense, this is, this is the problem, this is what I, I need to do? So the basics, I call them the six pillars of nutrition. I started honing these in say like 2005 and they pretty much stayed the same. Like I've kind of nuanced the wording a little bit, but I would consider these the basics. And if you were like, Mike, it needs to be even simpler. Like I could just give you one of them to follow, right? What's the one first? So the, the one is to eat more minimally processed foods and cut out foods with added sugars. Eat real food. Yeah. So minimally processed food would basically be anything that is unprocessed. So like a carrot right? Then minimally processed would be things like oatmeal or a steak or milk. You know, there's like a little bit of processing, but there's no manipulation in that food where you're adding sugar, where you're adding salt, 
where you're changing the chemical structure so it increases shelf life, where you're adding natural flavorings or anything like that. If you were to do that, you're so close to there. Okay, so let's start there and then and then walk us through to six. So that's the second pillar of nutrition. Uh, the first one would be, I guess if I wanted, if you were like, what's the one thing? And I tell you that it probably should be the first, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but the first is to eat multiple meals per day. So for generally for most people, that means breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a snack or something after you work out one of those. Things. Okay. How do you feel about intermittent fasting? Um, I think that it has not been shown to be superior to just regular old calorie restriction. And when people come off a fast, they have trouble eating like a normal human that they want to eat. Like they haven't eaten in 24 hours. And that's a behavioral deficit to intermittent mm -hmm. fasting. And so I find that if we're in this for the long term, we're in it for, you know, the behavioral approach. And it's a lot easier for people that eat in that cadence. Okay, cool. I'm not against intermittent fasting. So I think one of the things too, is I'm, I'm like, I'm very diet agnostic. I think there are core principles that you need to follow and you can apply those to pretty much any diet pattern. So if we were to look at, um, so we have multiple meals per day, we have minimally processed food, fruits and vegetables at every meal, right? We have protein at every meal. We have uh, drink water and eliminate calorie containing beverages. And we have be strategic about starch and grain containing foods. So with that one is basically corralling the starches or grains in your diets to either first thing in the morning or after exercise. And the reason behind that is those are the two times in the day when your body is more apt to be sensitive to a larger onslaught of carbohydrates. And then if you kind of corral them to those, those times a day, then by default in the other meals, you're going to need to focus more on eating more vegetables. And it's also going to help control total calorie content because most of us need to just worry about total calories and controlling total calorie content. Mm -hmm. So those are the six pillars of nutrition. I will tell you, it is exponentially harder to follow them on a daily basis than it sounds. Like people listening are like, great, this guy's his PhD. That, that's like middle school nutrition. But yeah, what do you call it? It's something about like social friction or something. Oh, the friction of healthy living. Yeah, there's just so many. It's, it's hard because there's so many other people. There's so many, like, you don't want to be that mutant. You don't want to always be the one who's like, well, you see them on this thing. Yeah. You know? Which, so kind of with the intermittent fasting part, like, there, there's a lot of friction there socially because, you know, like, you go out to eat and you're like, well, actually, I got another 18 more hours before I can eat. <laughs> and <laughs> so there is, yeah, there's a lot of that, that, that friction of healthy living is what I call it. And, you know, really makes it hard because the world is basically not set up for you to, you know, eat healthy and move a lot. It's meant for you to be sedentary and eat a ton of calories. Okay. So how do we really break through? What are ways that work for people to kind of not only not be, you know, one of the, what, 40% of Americans who are obese or all these things. It's like, we're always just talking about all these negative things going on. It's like, if you just want to be healthier and you want to get on that path, right, wherever you are, just yeah. want to make a little incremental change positively. Where do you see success coming from with that? So that's a great question. And that's really where my head is at when I'm talking to people about nutrition. Is I'm convinced, and maybe it's because I have four kids too, that I've grown to appreciate this. People know what they shouldn't do, right? So telling people like, you know, saying like repeating, like, you know, two thirds of the population is overweight or obese, or only 10% of the American population meets physical activity guidelines. Like that's not helping anybody. And I think people are then saying, well, what do I do instead? 
And so one of the things with nutrition that I always try to do is I focus on the do's, not the don'ts. So that's why the six pillars of nutrition are written in a way where they're all proactive, right? So it's like eat protein at every meal, eat fruits and vegetables at every meal. Because if you can take positive steps towards healthy eating, you get to leverage this thing called dietary displacement, where you think there's only so much room on your plate. And so if you're putting healthy things on your plate, that's going to push the unhealthy foods off of your plate. So if you're focusing on eating minimally processed foods, right, there's not going to be room for the unprocessed foods. And you're going to be full by the time you would try to go get them anyway. So being proactive and in, in focusing on the do's is, is one really important. So that's kind of a mindset shift is, is really what you're getting at, totally. right? Because there's a lot of negative. Yeah. You know, no matter what you're doing, no matter what diet you're on, you can't fast forever. You still have to think about food. You still have to kind of, your body gets hungry. It's, it's normal. You got to, you got to feed the house, wherever state the house is in, you got to feed the house. And so flipping it mentally. Yes. Because if you're always focusing on the don'ts, it sucks, right? Like if you're like, Oh, I can't do this. I can't eat that. I can't like, you're like, well, why would I ever want to do this? But if you're focusing on the do's and thinking like, well, I'm going to do this, or I get to do this, or here's what I'm going to do. And I'm just going to do this differently. Like it's a totally different mindset shift. Then you don't hate your life because we eat for all the reasons except for calories. So the first step that everybody wants to do, and like what people always say to me is that uh, like, I'm waiting for you to tell me that I can't drink wine and I can't drink coffee. And those are like the last things that I would tell people. I'm like, drink the wine and coffee. That's fine. Like we'll tighten it up someplace else. Because one of the things that I also have always found is that people, since they do know what to do, people are doing things right. And so what I always like to do with a client is I'll do what's called a diet audit. And we'll talk about what their diet is. And I'm like, okay, we highlight like, here are all the things you're doing really well, right? And then here are the things where we're like 60% there. And then here are the things that are, we're really struggling. And then we pick like, do we tweak some of the 60% or do we focus on the parts that we're struggling? And I'm all for, let's tweak some things that you're doing pretty well, make them awesome. And then that's going to snowball your success and you're going to start feeling good about it. And you're going to start making progress. And then you're going to want to do the hard stuff. So we get the easy wins early. And that is a huge way to move forward with people. Because generally what people want to do is they're like, I'm going on a diet. They throw out everything they're doing and then they start with something totally new. And that's like, you're trying to eat new foods. You're trying to establish new habits. You're trying to understand new concepts. And then, oh, by the way, you still have to go to work and you still have to manage your family and you still have to do all those other things. And I'm the only person who nutrition is like one of the most important things to them. Everybody else has got a list and nutrition is like at the bottom. So when things get stressful, the things on the bottom get kicked out and that ends up being nutrition and you end up being back where you were before. And that's still good because you got to live with your body your whole life. So sort of plug nutrition into the other parts, this kind of holistic health, mm -hmm. right? You wrote something else like you can't, you can't actually be healthy with, with poor nutrition, right? Something, something to that effect. Yeah. But you talk so much more about mental health and physical health and go outside and do all these things. And how do you think that our mindset has evolved in the course of your lifetime? Like are the temptations, how have those changed? Like I'm, I'm getting into sort of societal yeah. stuff now, but is it harder now to be healthier? Is it just, we have less willpower, less motivation because we, we have everything. We know that we can go to wherever and, and eat the healthiest thing. You know, it's, it's green and it's, it's all that kind of stuff. And I, I eat that stuff too. Right. Like, um, but yeah. we know we can do that. It's just, what's your take on that? So 
I think it is easier now to be healthier than ever before. And it's also harder. It's also still hard. It's like there are two, there are still two camps in the world. You know, like I said before, like in the mid and early 90s when I got into this, it was bodybuilding and powerlifting. And now there's like, you know, like rocking is a thing. Like that didn't even, you know, like there's so many ways that you can go out and be healthy and be active. And your options, if you were like, I'm going to go out and compete in something physical, you have so many options. And online has opened so many communities. Like I'm such a big believer that so much of this is habit change, but if you change your environment, that fast tracks your habit change. And so that's why I say it's like easier than ever before, but it's also harder than ever before because it's easier than ever before because you can find all these communities in these pockets. And I was never in the military, but I would imagine you go to basic training and you have this whole environment shift and that changes a lot of your habits pretty quickly, right? Yeah, funny story there is is they even, they have the, gosh, it was called something like the disgusting fat body food line or something. You know, Drill Sergeant Hester was not... <laughs> He was not shy about these things, right? And if you were discussing fat body, according to Drill Sergeant Hester, you ate in one line and got one serving. And if you were not, then you you went to the other one and you got a different kind of serving. I mean, they will they will write that ship and they don't care about your feelings. And the military is an interesting place. And I, I definitely wanted to, to bring this up because I've seen the goal of people is to perform better. Like to go to society as a whole. I mean, I think the military in a lot of ways yep. operates on you know, like it's a life or death thing in special operations. So you, you're, you're kind of always looking for an edge, but you're still a byproduct of the American society. Like you didn't grow up, you know, 4,000 years from now, you grew up right now. And so when, yeah. when I first came in, I mean, it just, it was, you know, you're supposed to be a man in the infantry and you're supposed to have burgers and fries and, and you're supposed to never do yoga and you're supposed to treat your body like you hate it and do more. And if you get injured, like Motrin and water is the way to go, you know? Yep. And what you've seen is that it's, it's mirroring our society as a whole where, you know, there's this desire to perform better. There's this desire to feel better and you start to realize that that's the edge. And so what, what kind of breaks my heart is when we have this knowledge and we know that it works and we need to inspire people and give them hope. We need to, we need to show them that change is possible in their lives, right? And it can start with very simple things and it's going to be hard. Welcome to life, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of been the journey that that I've seen, like, is that sound about right to what you've seen mirrored? Definitely. And what I'm, I'm probably guessing that this is the same in the military as in what I've seen in, in professional sports and, and with kind of people high performing, you know, business executives that I've also worked with is some people choose the path and some people don't, but it is so much cooler now than it used to be to choose the, I'm going to get enough sleep. I'm, you know, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to eat these quality foods because at the end of the day, you do perform better. And for so many people, performing better is the ultimate goal. And we all define performing better differently. And so I think that going back to that, it's easier than ever to, 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 you know, to get healthy and it's harder than ever to get healthy. Like one of the harder than ever's, and you said this about giving people hope and making choice, you know, so they can make those changes. You know, my wife tells me this all the time. She's like, you and your friends are no good because everything sucks. You know, like, like every expert, like, oh, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. And I totally, I totally appreciate that. Like most of my friends that are, you know, uh, strength coaches or, or personal trainers are kind of not snobbish, but they're like, you know, their approach is better than everybody else's. And so it's like, who do you listen to? 
And that is really defeating for the average person, somebody who's listened to this, they just want to get better. And my advice is always find a way to just take a good step forward. Like what's the good step forward? And if you're saying, I'm looking at my diet and I'm thinking, wow, you know what? I eat out at lunch every day and it's always this ultra processed food from some fast food restaurant. And so what I'm going to do instead of lunch is I'm going to make lunch. Or I'm not even going to make lunch. Like I'm going to buy a pre-washed lettuce at the store and a rotisserie chicken. And I'm going to cut it up and I'm going to have that at lunch. And I'm going to do that. If you can do effort. that. Yeah. You have to make, you have to be motivated and you have to make, make some effort. And so like when I look at goal setting for people, I chunk it down into three groups. The first is to write what I call a visceral narrative is to imagine yourself however long in the future. And like, what does that life look like? And it's usually like a paragraph or two. Because I think it's different when people can start to really envision and embody what they want to achieve and how it's going to feel. Then we take what I call target goals, which is what everybody's, you know, right? I want to lose 15 pounds. I want to add 20 pounds to my squat, like whatever that is, what's the target. But then where the rubber meets the road are the action goals. Like, what are you going to do every day in order to make that happen? Because you can't actually make the scale go down and you can't actually become stronger, but you can get eight hours of sleep. And you can have protein at breakfast, you know? And so it's moving it into that, what do I do every day is very empowering for people. And, you know, like you said, effort, like that's what moves forward is the effort. So then at the end of two weeks, when we're like, let's reassess how we're doing. And you skipped breakfast 10 out of the 14 days and eating breakfast was one of your goals. We can't complain that that we didn't move any closer to our target because we didn't do what we were supposed to do making that connection between daily actions and the thing you're trying to accomplish is such a game changer for so many people. So this is back to that, that switch in your brain, right? It's kind of like, instead of saying, I got to lose 20 pounds, because everyone is, is, is shamed now, right? I mean, this is yeah. a cultural thing, you know, there's skinny bodies on every magazine and, and all this stuff, right? And some of those are getting stronger too, which I think is probably, a, it is a good thing, you know, not just no meat, but you know, strong. Yeah. In, instead of just focusing on, I got to lose all this weight. It's more like, look, I need to do, I need to be more active. What define active, however you want, but in, in that, that 24 hours a day that each of us has for as long as we have it and, and not very long, do we have it by the way? Yep. We can only fill it with so much, so much stuff. And if you say, Hey, I'm going to go do this other stuff and I'm excited about it. I mean, nobody sits and says, Oh man, I'm just really excited to get eight hours of sleep. Like the world's yeah. greatest stories are not told. They do not start with, I got a perfect eight hours of sleep, you know, in, in front of me or right. in behind me. Right. Yeah. But it's the routines and it's this kind of way of life. And, and my push to folks is like, look, if you want it, a, a secret weapon in the world, it's feel good when you wake up and it's, it's feel like you have energy to do the things that really matter to you and eating a bag of chips in front of the TV is, does not really matter. It's just boredom, you know, yep. or it's just whatever. And so, you know, I do that sometimes too, like, or I just dramatically, I don't measure stuff. I'm, I'm I don't do any of that stuff. I just kind of have my body. I, I kind of know when I need a little more and when I need a less and a little less. And sometimes I'm like way, go way overboard. And I wake up and I feel terrible. And it's like, I got to kind of, I got to kind of write that ship. And so I don't know. Everyone's, everyone's going to have setbacks is, is I guess my, my point in this. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of like, but you got to care about how you feel. Like we need people to be their best. 
we want, I mean, I look, I got a big American flag behind me right now. And, and that's like, you yeah. know, I, I love our country and it, and it, it absolutely breaks my heart to see so many, I mean, loneliness is up, depression's up, anxiety's up, hypertension's up. And we're not, that, we're, that's the emotional stuff, right? And you start getting into yeah. heart problems and, and, and all the, all the physical ailments. It's like, we have to start to, to care about other things even more. Well, it's all about choice. Like one of the things I always try to inst- is get people to appreciate too is it's all about choice. And if you choose to eat a bag of chips and sit on the couch, that's fine. But you just have to appreciate that that choice has then repercussions. Like you can't get mad if you're not making progress towards what you're doing because you only moved a thousand steps because you watched football for two days straight. And one of the big things that I always see, like uh, I had a friend of mine, um, Alan Cosgrove is a trainer out in California. He always said that, there was this time when his clients, when they stopped asking, can I eat this cupcake and still lose weight versus I'm not going to eat this cupcake because it's not going to move me closer to my goal. That when people started like that mental shift, he's like, the gloves are off. Like those people are going to be fine. And it, it does, it goes back to, I mean, you, you call it like caring, like you got to care about yourself. Like you got to care about feeling good. And I think that we've cheapened health into this 20 pound weight loss thing where it's so much bigger than that. And, you know, like in the excerpt that you wrote, like when I, I went on this kind of, I was like, I want to, I put 80 pounds on my deadlift. I was like, I want to deadlift 500 pounds. And it was great because it was this hard thing that I put in a lot of effort and achieved. But at the same time, I was like, okay, now like, what do I do? The next day was like Thursday. And I'm like, what am I, what am I? So isn't that the mental side though? It, that, that's, it's like, if you take your physical health and your mental health, and then you take kind of your social health or however you want to kind of characterize that. And you say like, challenges are good. And it, was it a forcing function for you to figure out how to get stronger? Oh yeah. You know, I mean, there, I, I think there are ripple effects to those kinds of things too, right? Oh no, no. Yes. I'm a, I didn't mean to come off that way. I think that you should progressively find a new challenge every step of the way. Because what happens is if your challenge is lose 10 pounds and then you lose 10 pounds and you've defined health and all you're doing by this weight loss goal, then you're putting the weight back on because you're like, well, I'm just going to go back to my diet's over. I'm going to go back to what I used to do. And so it's how can you have this larger vision of your health that is you find interesting ways to motivate yourself along the way. Because yeah, I think that's why these target goals, like you should set goals and challenge yourself because you get so much better overall in life. Like that whole like four month period, like I still look back on that. I was like, God, that was so awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, it was so awesome. I guess my point was look beyond just the weight loss goal and think of what are all these other things and ways that you can challenge yourself because that's what's going to sustain you over time. So who does this kind of, the, the messaging that you're putting out there, I mean, who, who responds to it? And, and I'll, I'll caveat it with this. The other part that breaks my heart is that for the first time in in the history of evolution, there is an inverse relationship between wealth and waistline. Mm -hmm. The wealthy are now skinnier and healthier, I I, I would assume, than the poor in in our country. And is it is it values? Is it, you know, just access? Is it like how much does money play into this? I mean, how do we how do we see societal change in, in 
that's a really big goal. It's kind of like, I got to lose 500 pounds, right? You got to do it a pound at a time, but how do we get going down that trajectory? And, and is what's the role of technology? Like what's the vision for how we, how we do this? Well, I mean, there's like, that's a loaded question. Un- unpack it uh, all, man. Unpack <laughs> it all. So something that I'm really interested in right now is health equity and health literacy. And that research clearly shows that if people don't understand what's going on with them with themselves and their health, they don't engage. So there's a ton of health technology, right? The IoT of health, there's all kinds of apps, like billions of dollars has been sunk into health and behavior change. And a lot of the people that need that the most don't engage with that technology because they don't understand it. We've done a terrible job of making health information accessible to everyone, right? So then there so this is this is food deserts, people that don't have access to healthy foods, people where neighborhoods are not safe, so they're not going to go outside and be active, who have no idea what their doctor is telling them. And we've done a terrible job at and a, and a lot of chronic cardiometabolic diseases is, is with is in those those parts of society. And we've done a terrible job making health information accessible and and making like you said, it's all about belief. Like, can you believe that you can make change? We've done a terrible job doing that at that level of society. Kind of at this, the another level of society of people who have tons of access, who are getting barraged by food and marketing messages. And if you actually look at fast food consumption, there was a study that was done at Ohio State. Um, and as a Penn Stater, it, it pains me to even quote something done at that horrible university. Um <laughs> The <laughs> was looking at fast food intake and fast food consumption in this study was highest amongst essentially white collar workers. And the more hours you worked in a week was associated with higher intakes of fast food consumption, right? So these are people who are choosing uh, work activities over, say, healthful life activities and thus don't have time to prepare foods and are just eating wherever. So it's not. It's not just a an access education finance issue. It's a choice issue. And are we making that choice? And then for those people, I think, who are, and this sounds like total doomsday. And then for those people who are like engaged and like, I want to make that healthy choice, they go into the supermarket and then they're hit with all these different things that just confuse them about what is healthy and what's not. Because they're like, well, I was told I should eat this ketogenic diet because carbs are bad. But now there are cookies that I can eat that apparently are good for ketogenic diets. So I'm going to eat those cookies. And then they don't understand, like their stomach's killing them. And, you know, they're so confused. It's, it's really frustrating to people at every level of our society. And that's why I think what needs to happen is over the last, say, 10 years, nutrition and health news has become big news. Whereas before, like nobody cared. Like in 2005, like nutrition studies happened and no one cared. And now it's like something comes up and it's like the biggest thing and it makes it so confusing for people. And what I always am trying to encourage people to do is like, let's just, we need to focus on these core habits, not worry about all the noise and just move forward on a daily basis towards what you really want to accomplish. Because what happens is it's like longitude and latitude. Like people are trying to dial in like, the minutes and seconds of their global positioning, but they're like so many degrees off, mm-hmm. like where they're trying to go. You can't fine tune a, a problem where you're way off. Yeah. It's, it's like, oh, I probably shouldn't have another 
helping a turkey because Thanksgiving, because that's going to do all this stuff. But then, you know, later that night, it's like, oh, the, that gallon of ice cream, you know, it's not, it's not the extra help in a turkey that's going to throw you off, you know? Yeah. Or it's like the, I can't afford organic spinach. So it's like, whatever, I'm just going to go to McDonald's <laughs> or I'm going to have the 15,000 calorie burrito from Chipotle. You, you know, it's, we live in such of these extremes. Whereas if we can think like, look, you're given it at any given moment and you have to make a lot of food choices in the day. At any given moment, you make a food choice. Let's just say it's you know black or white. Just pick the one that's going to move you in the better direction. It's not the perfect choice, but it's moving you in the right direction. And the less we can get people to just throw their hands up and say, well, I'm just going to start on Monday, right? Because it's Friday and I had a slice of pizza, so I'm going to eat the rest of this one. I'm going to do whatever all weekend, and then I'm going to start on Monday. If you could do one thing, it would be stop doing that and just say no, because the cool thing about food is you're one meal away from being back on track. You're one bite from saying, I'm doing the right thing now to get me where I want to go. What about the technology piece? What, what do you see with all of this stuff? I mean, there's so much money in all of this stuff now too, right? Yeah. You can track all these things. I mean, is the goal that, yeah, are you a Star Wars fan? Oh, yeah. You know, so the, the health machines that the Jedi have, how many midichlorians do you have and what's the health of your cells and all this stuff? I mean- is this something where in the absence of literacy campaigns around food health in public schools, which allegedly kids don't really care about because or their decisions don't mirror an idea that they care about it, right? Like, do we just have to get so much more advanced for this to actually move forward or how do we, how do we do it? No. So I, so I think it's like, I'm as like a scientist and, and a nerd I think all that health tech is like super interesting. And as much as I try to engage with it, at the end of the day, I'm like, how many steps did I get? Like, am I at 10,000? Did I move for an hour today? Like, those are kind of my barometers. Like, did I eat vegetables at every meal? Like, I think they give all this detail, but we're missing the big, we're missing the big picture. You know, like I had a conversation once, you had him on the show, uh, Doug Kachijan, I think he was on your show. Yeah, Dr. K, he's great, huh? Yeah. So I know Doug from like one of my very good friends was one of his PT mentors. And so I've known Doug for a while. And I remember we had this conversation once where he was of the, the view that everybody wants to know like all the crazy stuff that all special operators do. But he's like, what they really do is they're really good at like pulling out their gun, aiming and firing. And they practice like the basic stuff so long beyond the level that anybody has the patience for. And that's why they're really good. Brilliance in the basics. That's nutrition. That is nutrition too. Nutrition is we need to be brilliant in the basics. That to me is, is a core missing factor. So yes, it's cool to scan your cells. Yes. It's cool to do like a food allergy test or figure out what your gut bacteria is. But most of that stuff has so many multifactorial inputs that it would be impossible for us to accurately manipulate at this point. So what about all that kind of stuff? You know, What's in your gut and all of these kinds of... So I think the gut stuff is interesting because you can go and you can get like your gut bacteria tested. And but, but so antibiotics just murder it, right? It's just gone. Yes. But your gut bacteria and those cells in your gut are always turning over. You know, it's probably the part of your system that has the largest turnover. And so you always have this opportunity, like, are you creating an environment that is beneficial or are you creating an environment that's not? And so you could say, well, antibiotics do that, right? So being sedentary and, and overweight also, excess body fat has, has a negative effect on that. Stress has a negative effect on that. You know, your nutrition has a negative effect on that. And so like, there are so many of these factors and you go get it tested and you're like, well, now what do I change? 
right? Because you don't really know what the thing that was screwing it up in the first place was. That's my problem with so many of these health tests. And when I was doing a lot of work in Silicon Valley, like those guys and girls, they're like, they want to test and monitor everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, we can, we can get that test, but it's not changing what we're doing because what we need to do is we need to get you to sleep. We need to get protein in you at every meal. Like, you know, like we still need to hit these basics, but people want these, these fancy details. And I, but I think if you were to say, well, I get it with the basics, like what are the other things? Uh, stress is a big factor and, and activity is a big factor. And partly because nutrition is like a permissive factor on stress. So stress is going to modulate so many things in your body. Mm-hmm. Like stress modulates your body's ability to recover from exercise. So if you're stressed, a workout that you would do normally and you could recover from no problem, if you're stressed, all of a sudden you can't recover from that. But nutrition has the ability to essentially shift the curve over so you then can recover from that. So like nutrition is like the cheat code. So, so there's a balance though. And if you get, if you have too much stress in your life, then you need Cro- even yeah, so more chronic stress. Yeah. You need even more sleep. You, you can, you can isolate nutrition to a degree, but that's not necessarily going to make you happy either. It's just a foundation, right? Right. You said it in, you were talking about Michael Easter earlier and you said this in, in Michael Easter's book and he wrote it like super medium. That's where I think you need to be is super medium. Because you're pushing it from a physical standpoint, you're still a little stress, you know, like your stress, I'm not saying you avoid stress, because you need to challenge yourself and create that stress, right? But when it becomes overloaded, then it then it's not good. So you, you know, you back that off. Nutrition needs to be dialed in, but not to an obsessive point, where you can't do other things. And so it's like all those factors that super medium to me described it perfectly. Okay, so my, the, the reference in that was that People have this perception of special forces guys looking like Arnold or, you know, looking like bodybuilders and all this stuff. Like you have to carry your body everywhere you go. It's just a fact, right? Yeah. You know, more places you go and you go a lot of places in, in special forces. And what you find is that the more you move, your body just kind of naturally comes to this, this state of, of balance that it should be in. And that was something where food in that lifestyle was just fuel and, there's that Socrates quote about no, no man has the right to be an amateur in the, uh, the pursuit of physical training, right? Something, something like mm-hmm. that. Sometimes I feel like we are looking at food just through a straw, right? And if you kind of said, I've got this big why in my life, and that matters so much to me, and I want to I wanna take that goal on. I want to, you know, fight for the values we hold dear. I want to raise my kids to be to believe in these kinds of things and give them these values that, that, you know, were passed down to me. I want to, you know, I want to go to the moon. I want to do whatever, right? Dream big, dream big and get to work. And in, in the arena of the physical side of health, which I think is like an absolute for me, when you see food as just fuel, I mean, your body will like spit it up every calorie and chew it out. And it's, there's such a purity to that you know, mm-hmm. and to be able to kind of take on these big goals, like Michael Easter talks about, you know, go f- do something really hard, train accordingly, right? Put your body through some stuff. Like what I'll find is that the mental stuff works out better too. the stress stuff. And it all kind of, once you start making a good choice in one arena, what I've found and what I've seen around me through, through go Ruck stuff is that other good choices follow at the same time. 
And, and, and so if I'm really active or I'm a professional athlete or I'm, you know, special forces type or infantry type, or I'm really looking for an edge, but I'm really active. Like how do you cater your messaging or how this fuel element of food, like how do you cater that to, to someone who's a little bit more ad advanced? So then I would say it becomes, how do you use food to optimize recovery? It becomes a recovery game mm. because the person who can recover the best and recover the fastest is going to be able to do more work, do more work faster, do more work better. You know, and, and so if you can use nutrition through the lens of recovery, that's kind of the next level of, of an unlock. And that becomes looking at calorie intake. That comes looking at how do we time certain nutrients around exercise? How are we using antioxidants that are found in certain foods and or supplements to strategically help our body with recovery? And so if you're like, I'm physically... I, I want to push things physically. So I need to take it to the next level. Where does nutrition fit in? It's all about how do we use nutrition to accelerate recovery? Okay. So what are some tips, tricks, you know, to do's not, not shortcuts. Cause this is, this is a way of life, right? Yeah. So protein becomes standard, you know, it is always, but it becomes more of an issue right after exercise because of taking in protein right after exercise strengthens at like the cellular level, your muscle building signals. And, you know, you had said before you're, you know, asked about intermittent fasting and people are more often skipping breakfast and skipping meals. And what research shows around protein is that you can't make up for lost protein. So when you eat a piece of protein, that's going to stimulate like a muscle building signal. I think of it as like flipping on a light switch. So your body's like, all right, we got protein. We're going to turn on that, that switch to start building muscle. Once the switch is on, you can't turn it on more. It's just on. And so you can basically flip that switch every four hours. So if you miss breakfast, you miss the opportunity to flip that switch. Now for the average person who, you know, is sedentary and trying to start to get active and, and starting to engage in a healthy life, is that going to be the end of the world? No. But if you're pushing the limits and you're like, how do I maximize this? You've missed that opportunity that you can't make up. So protein, you know, at every meal. And then actually, if you go, Kind of like the, the nuance to that is if you use liquid protein, so like essential amino acids or a protein drink, you can actually get in every two hours. So when I was working a lot with the pro guys and they were on either two a days early in the season, like preseason, or it was robust travel, um, especially like the NBA because the travel schedule is crazy. We would use like liquid protein in between meals at that two hour mark strategically to further enhance their a body's ability to build and, and repair muscle. Uh, so that's one thing related to protein. The other thing would be related to carbohydrates. So there was a lot with, you know, carb loading basically doesn't work. It, it works in that it stuffs your muscles with more carbohydrates, but it, it has never consistently shown increased performance. And so actually what it can just do is give you like GI upset and distress. So, you know, one of the things that with carbohydrates, and this is kind of always when you're looking and moving into competition, where you're like, I really need to perform there. The key is never do anything new. Like you got to, you have to build those habits early so that when it comes time to really perform, your body knows exactly what it's getting into nutritionally. Cause you don't want to throw it a curveball because then all of a sudden you're cramping your digestive systems off. Like you don't want to mess with that. But carbohydrates right after exercise are going to be really important. And for the longest time, like post-workout shakes, like carb drinks were really popular. But what, you know, research has really come to show is that 
if you don't have an immediate need because you're going to perform exercise again, right? Like in the next couple hours or the next morning, you can just continue to eat normal meals with carbohydrates like you would, and your body's going to replenish the sugar stores in your muscles. But if you're like, well, I need to perform again in two hours, or it's in the evening and you're like, I need to go again first thing in the morning, then getting ample carbohydrates, especially liquid right after exercise is important because your muscles are like sponges. And then the next piece I would look at is antioxidants. So what's really cool about this is like when you exercise or when you work out, right, that breaks down your muscles. And so you get stronger through that repair and recovery process. Now, your body figuring that out itself, how to repair and, rec and, and recover those muscles is part of the growth process. So it's like, if you do your kids math homework, then they never learn math. And so if we add supplemental antioxidants and certain supplements right after exercise to help with recovery, specifically antioxidants, that's basically that analogy. Like your muscles never actually learn to figure it out themselves. Like what's something that falls into that category? So I think any of these like high antioxidant drinks, so tart cherry juice is super popular right now, or like greens drinks or any high, high dose antioxidant powders. I mean, some of the early research was this was just done with like vitamin C and vitamin E supplements. Yeah. Um, but basically you work out, you exercise, you train, that creates inflammation and destruction. And so your body needs to say, okay, we got all these problems. Now let's rebuild and be stronger next time. But if we, if you bring it like these outside antioxidants in, it essentially puts out all the fires and your body doesn't have to do any of that work. And the growth comes, the muscular growth and, and recovery comes when your body figuring that out. So here's the nuance piece. When you're training, you don't want to add those supplemental antioxidants close to exercise because you want your body to be able to repair and recover and rebuild. But then when it comes time to perform, it's like when you're performing, you like you need to be at your best. And so your best means recovering faster. And so that's why with competition or performance, you hit yourself with the tartary juice right afterwards, or you use the supplemental antioxidants because you're basically giving everything you can to recover so you can perform at your best. So that's where you would break the routine. That's where you break the routine. Yeah. That when you actually need it. Because the nuance is when you're training, you're trying to get physically better and stronger in addition to honing your performance, where when it's time to perform, you're just trying to perform. Yeah. So an, another question, I don't, I don't know how related it is, but sometimes what I've found is that when people are a little bit too precious with all of the, you know, they're, they're measuring their life in 20 gram sco scoops of protein that are going to be, I, I, I've been there by the way, yeah. I thought that's how I was going to be the best soldier for our country, literally. And I got, I went way down this rabbit hole. And when you take that away and then you ask people to perform, it's, it's like the body is not used to that. And so my background coming from the military, well, I should clarify that because the seals, when you go through buds and stuff, they feed you a ton. You might be dumpster diving, but it's a ton of calories and they demand performance. And in my training, it was, it was a lot of starvation based stuff and our bodies just, <laughs> like, we just, it was survival. They're like not into performance. <laughs> like just make it. Yeah. We had to do it anyway. I mean, I could smell my muscles just 
my body eating my muscles. I can smell it right now because I, I just, you, you brought up that memory. Thank you. Right. And, uh, and, and it's, it's one of those things where, is there a right balance? Your body's going to learn off of the reps yep. and any deviation from these kinds of perfect, like, how do you, you got to do something every once in a while that, that shocks the system, or you got to learn how to drive through. Because I, when I joined the army, I was like, man, I cannot go for a run unless I have woken up and had my coffee and had my breakfast. And then I need uh, some proper digestion time, yes. you know? Yes. And it was like, you know, all right, everybody, you know, left face forward, March, follow me. You know, it's like, Oh, it turns out I can actually run at four 30 in the morning on, on an empty <laughs> on stomach, empty stomach you yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. So I actually think, uh, so I think that's very important. And while the habits of nutrition are very important. I have a hundred percent seen clients who get so regimented that when you break that regiment, they can't do it. You know, that like their body's not able to perform because you get set in this rhythm. So in, in metabolism, there's this concept called metabolic flexibility is, is your body able to switch between carbohydrates and fats as a fuel source? And if you're not, Right. So this decreased metabolic flexibility that's associated with future risk of diabetes and obesity and all kinds of bad metabolic consequences. So even at, at the, like this nerdy science level, we know you need to train yourself to be able to use whatever's in front of you. And for the longest time in that measure your protein scoop world, it was like you can't exercise in a fasted state. You know, you can't do this. You need to now in fitness, like you need to foam roll and warm up for 25 minutes before you can like sniff a barbell, right? And I think that we need to build into our lives these tests of variability. Yeah, you should be able to get up and go run on an empty stomach three miles. Yes, right? Because if you can't, well, what's going on metabolically? Like that is well within the realm of human capabilities, but you kind of put yourself in this rut. So yeah, I think that that sort of, Building in variability is extremely important to being overall healthy. Okay, so another another big topic is hydration. So when I was in the army, we had these ORS oral rehydration salt packets, and yep. these things would literally. It was my first exposure to this. You know, I, I grew up in Florida in the summers outside a lot, so I was kind of conditioned uh, against you know hot weather injuries, so to say, better than better than others. You know, I think it's kind of the the liquid IV oh, yeah. universe these days in, in the civilian market. And like, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on this? Um, I think that we have greatly underappreciated the value of the fact that there are electrolytes in the foods that we eat. So like, it's like we've taken Gatorade, for example, right? Created in Florida. Go Gators. Because these football players were in Florida, in football pads hours, heat, sweating. And they're like, we need to replenish salt and potassium with these guys because they're dropping like flies. And now it's like in a gas station, like you just left your cubicle. Like you don't need a Gatorade. Or, or 45 goose shots around your waist for your two mile, you know, <laughs> jog, right? Yes. So my like steadfast rule is if it's not moderate to high intensity activity for more than 75 minutes, it's only water. Like you don't need it unless you're in Florida, it's a hundred and you're sweating like crazy, then you might need some electrolytes. But, you know, I think the, the marketing behind electrolytes 
has allowed people or caused people to lose sight of the fact that we're just talking about sodium, potassium, and chloride and magnesium. Like these are things like the average American eats like almost three times what they should from a sodium perspective. And unless you're out there sweating like crazy, like you were when you were, you know, Green Beret training, then you don't need that stuff. Like just drink water and eat food. Oh, okay. So how do I, how do I do this? Say I've got, you know, the big game or the big 50 milers on Friday night and, you know, you've kind of debunked the idea of carb loading and said, you know, you need to, you need to eat real food and needs to be protein to help your muscles recover. Right. And, and yeah. have fuel. How do I approach this on the, on the hydration side? Well, so what you need to do is it goes back to, you don't want to try anything new in competition, right? Like if you're going to do the 50 miler, like I hope you've done 20 miles before and you have a general idea of how your body is going to respond. And if you're going to do 50, like, you know what, you're all probably going to need some electrolytes and some sugar because 50 is different than, you know, that to me, that's like more of the, the other side of the extreme. Sure. But from a hydration perspective, you know, it's really simple. What I would always do with, with the guys I would work with is, you know, you take like an average workout, like an average intensive workout, you know, so two, two, two to three hours and drink what they would normally drink. And you would weigh yourself before and after they would weigh themselves before and afterwards in their underwear. And you measure your body weight loss. And if you lost more than 3% of your body weight, you're not hydrating enough because 3%, like a 3% reduction in body weight is kind of like the magic number. Once you get there, then all of a sudden your body doesn't regulate temperature as well. Your perceived exertion is much more. So exercise seems much harder. Your heart rate gets more elevated. And so all these things happen when you lose about 3% of your body weight. And so it goes into your training. Like you should understand how your body responds to three hours of training before you go into a three-hour competition. So then you can hydrate accordingly. Okay. So what if I, I just, I know for a fact, say, um, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about go ruck events. I'm thinking about go ruck selection. I'm thinking about yep. special forces training, these kinds of things where, you know, you're at the, the tip of the blade, right. Mm -hmm. And you know that it is going to be impossible for you to stay properly hydrated throughout. Maybe you're in a colder environment, you're flying to a, a warmer environment. Can you front load hydration is really kind of what I'm getting at. Can you build it up so that you have a little bit more on the front end? No, you can't really front load hydration like you can carbohydrates. So we talk, you know, we talk about carb loading. The idea about carbohydrate loading is that you essentially super saturate your muscles with carbohydrates, right? And so with, with hydration, there's just a limit in which your body is going to hold on to fluids and then you just start peeing it out. But what research does actually show us is that 50% of athletes at every level start competition under hydrated. So step one would be making sure you are hydrated. And that's why I used to tell my athletes, like you've worked so hard to get where you are, like to not be at your best because you didn't drink enough water is such, you know, is such a terrible thing. So you can't front load hydration really, but what you can do is start hydrated and then sip is better than gulp and do it as much and as often as you can. I mean, this is one of those things, God bless runners, right? My wife ran at Georgetown and uh, runners everywhere, they just always have their damn water bottles. I mean, everywhere, <laughs> right? Yes. Everywhere. Yes. And I'm like, gosh, that's so annoying. Water sucks, right? <laughs> that, was my, that was my opinion back in the day. And you know, what I've found now is I've, I've gotten older and my wife has made me wiser, right? Like one of those tips that I would tell people is if you have a water bottle, 
you will drink more water. Like it's your water bottle. Yeah. Bring it around with you, take it to the airport, dump it out before TSA, do all these things, right? But if you have it, it's always with you. It's something that you'll think about more. If you think about it more, it's good. Or you see, you know, here when I'm at work, I've got my mug, I drink water out of it. It's it's great. It's just one of those things where it's there. It's a kind of a, a physical reminder. And I, I was kind of expecting you to say, yeah, you. I mean- ORS literally brings people back to life. I mean, I don't, they're disgusting, right? They're, there's, they're, they're well, used for diarrhea in third world countries and, and all that stuff. So in those situations, right, if we're talking about extreme performance over long periods of time, like, and you're sweating a ton like that, you are going to need that supplemental electrolytes. And the key with hydration is not to get dehydrated. So when you say that it brings those people back to life, if you can not get to that point, so if you're sipping on it early, so if I was doing, if it was like a heavy, like if you were doing a go rock heavy or you're doing go rock selection, or if even like a tough in hot weather, electrolyte packets, yes, right? Because why spite the gods? Like why risk it? So I would, do, but if we're talking about I'm I'm just I'm doing a 5K or yeah. I'm just doing a workout, I think we've lost the appreciation that hydration is just drinking water. Like you don't need you don't need all the electrolytes. But in those more longer endurance, longer engagement situations, and it's a performance thing, it goes back to you throw everything at it. So yes, I think that the electrolytes and the carbohydrates in that um, scenario are going to be beneficial. Okay. Now, another question near and dear to my heart via Michael Easter, even he wrote an article called peanut butter and jelly should fuel your next adventure. It's basically the best performance food on the planet. What are your thoughts? I mean, peanut butter and jelly basically fuels most of the NBA. So it's, it's hard to argue. It's hard to argue. I like a good peanut butter and jelly. I think that if you get good bread, you know, like I think if you can get a nice piece of bread, it's good because if you're out in the woods, it's portable. It doesn't need to be refrigerated. It's going to be really calorie dense. If you get a good bread, then, you know, that's going to have a little bit more protein in it. Then it's going to get you some protein with the peanuts too. What I like to do, because I'm kind of a protein nut, is I'll actually mix in a little bit of whey protein with my peanut butter. Mm. You know, like half a scoop. Because you mix half a scoop of peanut butter, uh, half a scoop of whey with a quarter of a cup of, of peanut butter, which is, you know, the low end of respectable for peanut butter and jelly. How do you mix it? Like a little bit of water, and and then you just mix it up. Okay. And it hardly changes the texture. Like, but I mean, how, like in the peanut butter jar with, with a knife? No, no, or in a bowl. In, in a, bowl. a bowl, okay. Like, like put it in a bowl, a little bit of whey. A, like a tablespoon of water and then mix it up with a fork and then you spread it on your bread. You know, I feel like there's a, a new product that we could come up with. So there are some peanut butters with whey in it, but if you do it yourself, it's just better. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I think peanut butter and jelly is a great, if you're out and you're like going, as long as you're not allergic. Yeah. I mean, I also found that you can actually still work out on it closer. You can still be active easier for whatever reason. My, my wife, Emily had the same reaction as a runner too. I think as long as it's not shorter duration, high intensity work, because what you are going to get with peanut butter and jelly is it's going to sit, it's going to digest slow, which gives you the benefit, you know, if it's a longer engagement, because the fat and the fiber and the protein, that's just a recipe for slow digestion. And so if you are high intensity, it's going to sit in your stomach and not feel good. And part of it is you only have limited amount of blood in your body, right? So if your body's digesting, it's going to pull that blood towards digestion and it's not going to be in your muscles delivering oxygen. So longer, more sustained activity, I think it's great 
for performance. But if it's if it's shorter and more intensive, or if it's longer and high high intensity, then something that's easier digesting is probably going to be better. So for rucking or hiking, you were, you were mentioning earlier. I mean, this is we are the rucking company at Go Ruck. So yeah, it's good. You're good to go. Any other sort of nutrition tips or advice you would give specific to rucking or hiking or traveling with a backpack or you know stuff like that 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 might be kind of uh, specific to our way of life? So when I did a Go Ruck Tough, I can tell you what I did nutritionally. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a I had a fair amount of water. I had trail mix that was beef jerky and pistachios with a little bit of M and M's because you need some joy in your life. Yeah, right? when it's two a when it's two a.m. and you're in Buffalo. And then I had this drink called Ucan, which is like it's like starch that's slow digesting, and so it, it kind of maintains like an even keel blood sugar. So I drank that about halfway through on a swing set at like one in the morning. But that was basically that was basically it. So it, it was trail mix, a little bit of this slow acting carb drink, and I was pretty much good to go in a lot of water. A lot of water, right? Yeah. So hiking, rucking, peanut butter sandwiches, I think are a win. Like we said, I think trail mix is really good too, because you can make it in so many different ways. Like me personally, I'm like I'm a lower carb from a performance standpoint. But if you're not, like you can throw pretzels in it, you can throw raisins in it. And so trail mix, I think is really great and you can customize it to whatever you want from a, uh, you know, a carbohydrate and calorie, you know, it's calorie dense too. So I think that's the way to go. You know, when you're moving around, like if you're traveling with your rock, like I always have pistachios, I always have some sort of fresh fruit, like an apple or an orange, like something that can take some abuse because, you know, what I generally find is you, you end up, you're in airports where the food is all terrible, but you're kind of like driven to eat and you know, most of the things you would find in the airport, like protein bars are, have become really popular, but protein bars have kind of evolved into candy bars without telling anybody. And the problem is you can eat a protein bar and it's 300 calories and you're like, well, I could easily eat another one of those. So that like does you no good. But if you have a piece of fruit and you have some nuts, like all of a sudden you're like, well, this is actually only like 200 calories and I'm good to go till I get to my next location. I'm like you or like what you said, like Emily, like I kind of have a water bottle that I always bring with me because dehydration, like if is easier when you're traveling and it also can show itself as a false sense of hunger. How much awareness do we need to have of caloric intake? Because you can, there's gotta be a middle ground between you count every single calorie and you just kind of generally know a vibe or right. So I'm into the vibe. I'm into the calorie vibe because I think that with food choices, you can get into a pretty good ballpark of controlling your calories. So when I ever talk about controlling calories, I'm not talking about counting calories as much as I am being aware of our calorie consumption. And that starts by having a diet that's grounded in, you know, in fruits and vegetables, because those are foods that you can eat a ton of. Like the average human wants to eat anywhere between three and five pounds of food, but your body doesn't actually care as much of the caloric content. And they've shown this in all kinds of research that people eat based on weight, not based on calories. So if you're going to sit down and eat half a pound of food, if it's 700 calories or if it's 2000 calories, your body kind of actually doesn't care. So if you can move your food choices to being things that are have less calories, but you know still have a large volume and weight, which lean proteins and fruits, vegetables, things like that, you get to eat a ton but you're on default, you're just controlling calories without having to count them. 
which is how most people want to live because most people don't wake up being like, man, I cannot wait to plug this into my fitness pal. Like it is going to be awesome. Right. They, they don't want to do that. Yeah. It starts to feel like a chore then. And then, then you quit. And it's not, it's not necessary. Like you said, like you have a feeling and a vibe that is good. It, you know, you know, it feels good. And I think that most people can get to a weight where they feel good, get to a place where they physically perform in a good way, where it's all based on making consistently good food choices and not having to worry about micromanaging the nutrients unless you start moving towards that higher level of performance. Because the higher level you want to perform, the more attention you need to pay. You might need to pay in order to achieve those certain benchmarks. So for me, it comes back to routines. And, and by that, I mean, like I have these as a series of data points, right? I mean, I still have the same pair of pants, you know? I, I'm, I, I, mm-hmm. I really look at my step count and I learned this a few years back, you know, with, cause your phone has your step count by the way. Yeah. And so if you, I don't, I don't live and die by it every day. Occasionally I feel guilty for being a, a sloth, right. But not, not for two days in a row or really not for three days in a row. And it's like, I will walk slash ruck at least 10,000 steps a day. Yeah. Right. Like that's a thing. I have my Garmin watch on in my phone, whatever, you know, take the lowest, take the highest, whatever. You know, then there's this sort of, okay, well, I work out a couple times a week. Like how much weight can I move on various movements? Like you can tell, right? And every day, sometimes, sometimes I feel like crap and sometimes I feel great, but it's trends. It's the have it's what happens over time. It's not like, oh, I had a terrible workout today and I'm just gonna, you know, throw the towel in. And there's just these these other things where the older you get, like you start to worry about muscle degradation. You know, guys don't want testosterone to go away, mm-hmm. right? Like these are these are issues. And I recently did a food challenge called Whole Thirty because yep. I, I love Melissa Urban, and you know, it's like eat real food. And I had to cut some things out, which was okay. I mean, peanut butter being one of them, beer being another. It's okay. I was fine. You're still here. Yeah, I'm still here. Right. (laughs) I am anti-fragile, my friend. And you know, it was one of those things where I started to to dig into some of the specifics and I learned a lot around there's so much in all these additives and in all these things. I mean, it's it's very detrimental to a guy's testosterone, which is a big problem. As you get older, you want more more lean muscle mass and you can you can fight against yourself so easily, right? And and I think you can, you can, you can just sabotage yourself and not even really know it or soy milk, like terrible for guys. Right. Am I wrong here? Mm, soy is kind of actually negligible on the testosterone side. Is it? Yeah. All right. Good. So those edamame at the, at the kids dinner. Are all right. You're again, good to, you're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's never okay. Is the soy latte. Okay. Do not no, be a, not do it. not be a soy latte dude. Okay. Not with pumpkin spice, no. not with any of that stuff. Do not do that. All right. <laughs> but you know, I, I think that there's, there's so many ways to get confused and complicate all of this, but I, I love the way that you put it where we're just, we're, we're so many degrees off and we're, we're having so many talks about the, the minutes, you know, the, the smallest things. And like, we're going to fight over that. And those become the reasons that what we just stop doing anything. Yeah. It's like, we know what to do people. Come on, like do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, the consistency in which you describe your routine, you're like, I'm going to work out, you know, two or three times a day. I'm getting 10,000 steps every day. If you take that and you then start applying that to nutrition as well, like what is the consistency? Like, because what happens is it becomes such a habit. Like you said, you started becoming aware of 10,000 steps, you know, and, and your step count for a couple of years now. But now it's like automatic. 
It's like when I look down at my plate, there's not a piece of protein and some vegetables. Like it just doesn't feel right. Mm, I like and that. we don't, we generally don't give ourselves the grace to struggle through that till we can make this new habit part of our lives. And we're, and we're just like, Oh, it doesn't work. I'm just going to go and do, do this other thing. And that's where I think we talked about this a little bit before. That's where environment and community can pull you through until you get out on the other side and it becomes automatic because you have, everybody's got all kinds of automatic. Also own it, own it. Right. Yeah. Find, find some people that will like, just say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do this. I need to, I need to do this for me. And that's going to make me better for us. Whether it's your spouse or your, your whatever, whatever the case may be. Like I want to, I want to reclaim some of this back. And then if, if you're around supportive people and like that, that's, that's, what you want in your life. We all need that is I guess my point, right? If someone's like really going to food shame you and do it, like you have to do this or you can't do that. Like, you know, maybe that's the wrong circle for you to be running in. I agree. I mean, it's hard enough to take the time to make these right choices, to make those, the decisions to lead a healthy life. Like you don't want to sit down with your buddies and you order, you know, the sirloin with a side salad and they order Buffalo wings. And then they're like giving you a hard time. And you're like, look, I got four hours of sleep last night. Work is stressing me out. It was really hard for me not to eat the buffalo wings. You know, you know like I'm trying my best here. Like, yeah. And if you, don't, if you don't tell people that, if you don't tell your circle, then how are they going to know? You know, and, and like you said, like, and I have this theory of sometimes you don't need to step on the gas. You just need to take your foot off the brake. Like you're going down the highway, just take your foot off the brake. And in socially, those conversations are essentially taking your foot off the brake. Okay. I got kind of a, so usually I ask people about, you know, advice, like what's the advice that you have? We, we've done a lot of that today in great ways, tons of gold here. It's more like, what's the future look like? Is this going to get worse for us, better for us? How's it going to get worse? How's it going to get better? Like what, what do you see in this kind of health literacy universe that you're, you're helping to pioneer and, and getting after? Well, it's getting worse. So, <laughs> so it's uh yeah it's getting worse it's getting worse all over the globe like if you look at global cardiometabolic disease it's called like obesity heart disease and diabetes like came to got married and, and had this horrible child called cardiometabolic disease is definitely getting worse define cardiometabolic disease real quick so imagine if it's like heart disease and diabetes and obesity so being overweight like having a bad having high blood pressure high cholesterol and high blood sugar, like all those things are coming together in people across the globe. And it is progressively getting worse. And what I think is we have always dug into what I call point solutions. Like I need to do this one thing. It's I need to do this. It's this the exercise app. It's the food app for track. And instead, what we really need is people need to own their situation and look at it holistically. You know, like you need to say like, I'm the one who's going to get myself out of this. And these are the choices that I'm going to make across not just food, but across everything, because this is the kind of life that I want to live. I think that's the only way we get out of this. And if we're like waiting for, you know, the healthy food to show up at the grocery store, like it's not going to be because I have nothing against food marketers or food companies, like they're trying to make money, but it's confusing. Like they're not going to save you. Like your doctor's not going to save you. You know, I know during COVID, there was this all this stuff, like when people, especially like as gyms were closing down and people were outraged, like, why isn't the government like mandating exercise and nutrition? And I was I'm like, the government's been giving out nutrition and exercise information for decades. Like nobody's listening. And so it, it comes down to people need to just own their situation and say, hey, I'm making a difference in myself. Find people that want to do it with them. That's really how we get out of this. 
because it's just this huge iceberg that's of cardiometabolic disease that's taken over the world. And it, it just, it always comes down to like one person getting together with some other people and saying, we're doing this, we're making a change. Amen. Personal responsibility, bring it back, right? Yeah, 100%. All right, Dr. Mike, you're the best. Thanks for coming on and chatting. I appreciate you. And I know a lot of people learned a lot of stuff today. So thanks a million. You're very welcome. Thanks so much. All right, just wrapping up in the champagne room. That was Dr. Mike. Man, that was fun. That was fun for me. I mean, nutrition is just something that I've had to kind of chart my own way and figure out what works and what doesn't. And I'm always just looking for people that de-confuse things for me. So that was cool. Looks like we're going to be able to get him down to Sandlot Jacks, a fitness festival that we're putting on April 22nd to the 24th in Jacksonville, Florida. We're going to have a lot of speakers. We're going to put together some panels. Michael Easter, author of Comfort Crisis, is our MC. And part of it is just, you know, the education side of, of fitness. And it can be fun. It doesn't have to be so complicated. You can, you can get around with like-minded people, be active, do all that stuff. And it's just, it's about a lot more than just what you put in your mouth and what you don't. And I know that sounds a little funny. That's intentional, <laughs> true, true in life. So hope you all have a good one out there. If you've enjoyed this, thanks for listening. Sorry, Rich was supposed to join. We'll have to have Dr. Mike back on because Rich was literally the reason for the last year. He's like, you got to find a nutritionist to talk to. So he was super bummed not to be here. You guys were stuck with me. More of these to come with, with some of our, our speakers that we're going to have at, at St. Lot Jacks and some of their stories and perspectives. Several of them we've had on before, Kelly Starrett and Melissa Urban as well. So we're going to have some of our friends come in. Dr. Mike, that was a lot of fun. Anyway, I'll stop rambling. Thanks for listening. Appreciate you guys. Out. Out.